The following program is sponsored by Friends of Life Outreach International. In that 12-year period, I preached a funeral of a close family member every 16 months on average. So for the first time in my life, uh, after uh, preaching all these funerals and going through all the grief and asking the tough questions, uh, questions like, God, I still believe in you and I still love you, but do you really love me? Clayton King explains the biblical truth that in the darkest moments of weakness and pain, God reveals his purpose and makes us stronger. Next on Life Today. Today, I'm Randy Robison. My co-host today is Miss Sheila Walsh. Sheila, good to have you as always. Greetings, Earth people. We have a very strong mm. person with us today who discovered that sometimes you have to be weak. And if you're yeah. not going to be weak on your own, life might beat you down a little bit, right? Honestly, I have to say, I am so excited um, about this guest and about his book. So without further ado, will you please help us welcome Clayton King. Welcome, good sir. Thanks for having me. All the way from South Carolina. Yeah, that's right. One of the things you said when we were having dinner was you talked about the impact that James has had on your life and mm. that it really is significant for you to be in the studio. I'd love you just to say a little bit about that because that really touched me. Yeah, when we pulled in the parking lot today uh, from the hotel, I sensed the Holy Spirit and it kind of got all over me, I guess, and is the best way I know how to put it. When I was 14 and I gave my life to Christ, the night that I was saved, I sensed God calling me to ministry. I had never wanted to be a preacher. The thought never crossed my mind. Never even dawned on me that I would go into ministry. So almost immediately after my salvation experience, God began to open doors for me to preach in churches and prisons and youth groups. And uh, James Robinson, your dad, had a program, a 30-minute show that came on our local religious channel every afternoon, every evening about 6.30. So my dad would come home, my mom would fix dinner for the family, we would eat and then we would go in the den and we would turn on the TV and we would watch your dad preach. Hmm. And I didn't know at the time what God was doing in my life, I was just an eighth grader. But I was watching your dad anointed as this great evangelist and this great communicator. And that DNA was being formed in me. And so for me to sit here with, with, uh, with his son, with you, mm -hmm. and be able to be in a studio that represents the legacy of your mom and your dad mm -hmm. is almost too much for me to, to even comprehend. Um, I really am like a kid on Christmas. I cannot believe I'm sitting <laughs> here right now. Well, we're um, thrilled to have you now. You kind of walked down a lot of the path that he walked down. You've, you've spoken in, what, prisons and yeah. all sorts of places. I mean, because you're, you're, you are on staff at a church, but you're an evangelist at heart. That's right. I'm the teaching pastor at a church called New Springs, one of the largest churches in the country. But I'm, a, I'm an evangelist by calling. And I travel several hundred days a year. Started when I was 14, been 29 years ago now. And I guess uh, right now, 38 countries and 45 states that God's allowed me to travel in and to preach in and to see people saved. And I've really modeled, I, I was telling you guys this backstage, I've modeled much of our ministry. I run a, a large nonprofit ministry uh, and a summer camp called Crossroads for Teenagers. We've modeled our structure. We've modeled the way that we've tried to handle money, uh, everything after your dad, 
and after Billy Graham. And those have been two men that God put in my life. Besides my own father and my pastor growing up, uh, those two men have been probably the biggest influences in my life uh, as a a minister of the gospel. That's quite a compliment. Yeah, I mean a lot to that. I got a chance to read your book, and I have to say, first of all, you're a great writer. And I love, I mean, I'm... I read all the time, you're a really gifted writer. But I find myself asking, what compelled you to revisit such a painful place? Because some of the stuff you talk about in here is pretty tough. Yeah. You know, that's my 13th book, but I tell people it's the first one that I wrote in blood. Mm -hmm. I wrote it in my own. The reason, to answer your question, the reason I wrote the book was uh, I just could not get away from this sense that God wanted me to tell this story. After having written the book, I realized that it was cathartic for me. It was healing for me, but it wasn't for me. I thought I was writing the book sort of as a way to to work out this painful experience I went through over a dozen years. But in reality, I was writing the book for other people. So when I felt like the Lord told me to tell my story, and the story is essentially this. I lost nine family members in 12 years. I preached to every one of their funerals. I was averaging a funeral every 16 months for 12 years. So to give you a a concept of that time frame, imagine a child that begins elementary school as a first grader. Now fast forward to the day that he or she graduates from high school. That's 12 years. In that 12 year period, I preached a funeral of a close family member every 16 months on average. My mother dropped dead of a heart attack in November of 2010 while I was in another country. Um, And then 18 months later, my father died and I preached his funeral on Father's Day. So for the first time in my life, uh, after uh, preaching all these funerals and going through all the grief and asking the tough questions, uh, questions like, God, I still believe in you and I still love you, but do you really love me? Mm -hmm. Um, Tough questions like, am I the common denominator? Because all of these people are connected to me. So am I doing something wrong? Of course, that sounds silly now, but in the middle of a situation like that, he asked tough questions. So when it was all said and done, my thought was, okay, nine, nine people dead in 12 years. The funerals are over. Maybe it'll stop for a little while. I can finally get over this. But in reality, we don't get over hard times. We get through them by God's grace. So I had to write that book because if I did not externalize what I was feeling, it was going to kill me. Mm. Um, whenever we hurt, whenever uh, bad things happen, things that we're not prepared for, they show us how weak we really are. And everybody's going to cheat somehow to make it through the hard times in life. You're going to go somewhere for your grace, for your strength, for your stamina. And Jesus was mine. But the temptation for me was to bottle it up. So when the Lord told me to not bottle it up, but to dig it up, I said, okay, Lord, I'll do it because I want to obey, but I'm going to trust that you're going to do something good out of this bad thing. And here's what I've learned. God is so good. He can bring a good result from a bad thing. And there's really no other power known to, hu- to the human race that can do that. So when I, when I dredged up all of those emotions and all of that pain and all those feelings, I didn't realize at the time I was doing it so that other people could be comforted with the same comfort I had received from the Lord when I was going through such a difficult situation. But what would you say if somebody is watching right now and they're not on the other side, you know, they're right in the middle of yeah. something that is devastating. What would you say to them? Yeah, I'll quote Winston Churchill, other than Jesus, I think the most quotable uh, person in human history. Uh, Winston Churchill said, if you ever find yourself going through hell, by all means, keep going. Mm. 
And what we tend to do is when we find ourselves, and I think there's a country song that's kind of spun off of that. Yeah, yeah. It's good theology, even though it didn't come from the Bible. But um, what we tend to do is when we're in the middle of a very difficult season in life, uh, whether it's the effects of an abortion, depression, discouragement, alcoholism, some sort of addiction, a divorce, uh, a health issue, financial difficulty, you name it, we tend to pitch our tent in the middle of the hell we're living through. Mm. But what we have to do is keep moving. Forward momentum is so important. And so there were moments when I was going through this deep, dark season of depression and discouragement where I would just pray, God, get me through the next hour. No, I wasn't even thinking about my kids growing up. I wasn't thinking about turning 40. I was just thinking, if you can get me through the next hour without a nervous breakdown, then God, that'll be a win. And so that would be my word, look to God. Because of all the, all the places you can go in hard times, there's no one as big or as strong or as smart as God. And there's no one that understands your struggle. And there's no one that understands your pain more than Jesus. Because Jesus suffered. He suffered greatly. Matter of fact, he took the, the entire weight of the sin and the failures of the entire world on himself. And when he died on the cross in our place, he wasn't just taking away the penalty of our sin, he was taking away the shame and the guilt and the regret. And uh, Isaiah prophesied 700 years before Jesus was even born that Jesus was a man of sorrows who was well acquainted with grief. And then, of course, Jesus lived that out. So if anybody understands what it's like to be depressed and discouraged, to go through grief and pain and terrible, terrible days, Jesus understands. Listening to you out here, it sounds like you've, you've worked through things and, and you've really, you know, come to a, a good place and, and you, you sound a little bit, you know, like someone who can preach, right? Mm. You contrast your public self with the man who had to go take care of his father yeah. as, as he was, you know, close to death's door. Yeah. What did you discover during that very difficult time? I discovered that I was uh, never as strong as I thought I was and that God was way stronger than I ever dreamed he was. There were a couple of moments, and I tell these stories in the book, uh, because when I wrote the book, I wanted the book to be a story of hope. It's not a depressing story. No, it's, it's not. It's not a sad story. Yeah. Um, people that read the book tell me two things. They tell me they finish it, which as an author, I want people to <laughs> finish the books. All right, that's a compliment yep. for a writer. And they tell me that they laughed and cried mm. in the same moment or in the same chapter, in the same, in the same moment. So there are a couple of moments that, that God revealed to me what he could do in my weakness. And so if I can encapsulate everything, I parallel my story of weakness with Paul's thorn in the flesh. And when Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, I pleaded with God three times to take away my thorn in the flesh. But all three times God said no. There was a greater purpose in the pain. Mm -hmm. Because in, we don't like pain. But what pain does is it purifies our motives and it testifies to God's grace. And sometimes it really helps us uh, to, to focus on what matters in life. Yes, it does. So I decided if my weakness won't go away, it might as well go to work. <laughs> That's good. And, and weakness isn't going to go away. We're all weak in some way, shape, or form. We have real weakness, every one of us. And so my weakness was not going to go away. So what I did is I put it to work and I let that weakness be the way that God worked in me. And the moments that I remember the most, and I tell these stories in the book, was the day that uh, I took my children to see my dad before he passed away. He was in a nursing home. He couldn't eat. The neuropathy was so bad he couldn't hold a coffee cup. He was on dialysis every other day. He was uh, having small heart attacks. They knew that he wasn't going to live much longer. And it was a horrible day. 
My dad had a panic attack while I was there. He fell in, and, and uh, busted his knee wide open. He was a free bleeder because of his heart medication. And so I, I took my children away from that situation and I cried all the way home, an hour and a half. In when front we, of your kids. In front of my kids. Mm -hmm. They were in the back seat and it was God's grace that they put on their headphones and their headphones allowed them to, they were watching a movie on the DVD player. And as soon as they put their headphones on in the parking lot, I lost it. And I just began to weep and cry. Whenever uh, we pulled into the parking lot an hour and a half later at the YMCA and they took their headphones off, I was still weeping. Mm. And when they noticed how broken I was, my seven-year-old and my 10-year-old, Jacob and Joseph, from the back seat, reached up and laid their hands on my two shoulders. Mm. And they began to pray out loud for me in the Honda Pilot. Mm. And for the first time in my life, I think I really experienced what it meant when Paul said, God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. Mm. And their prayers gave me the strength to make it. And then uh, the other moment where I felt God lift me up was when I walked in the room where my father's dead body was. I'd stepped away from him for a little while. He died while I was away. And I'd promised him I'd stay with him until he died. And I left his side and when I came back, he was gone. And I fell down on my knees beside his bed. And I just began to cry and weep. I'm an, I'm an adopted child. My mom and my dad were, dad were both dead before I turned 40. I felt like an orphan. Mm. And I was just screaming out to God in my weakness. I'm an orphan, what am I gonna do? My mom and dad are gone. My dad is dead, my dad is dead, my dad is dead. And I heard the Holy Spirit say very clearly to me, but you're not. <laughs> and if you're not dead, I'm not done. And I've held on to that. I'm not dead, so God's not done with me. And so in telling the story and writing the book of Stronger, what I'm really doing is I'm burying my scars because my scars tell my story. My scars testify that I survived and my scars show people you can survive too. Every scar tells a story and every story, if we'll give it to God, can be used for his glory to make other people stronger. I love the way in the book you talk about the reality that, that joy and sorrow so often walk hand in hand. Yeah. You know, I think in the Christian life, we want God to make everything better. Or we, we might be thinking, well, I'm going through a dark season. One of the things that I got from your book is the way that you have learned to worship in the midst of the storm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Before you even begin to see dawn break. Yeah. Knowing that because of who God is, that's the thing that I took away from your book. It's not that you suddenly got stronger. It's that they, our greatest strength is realizing how weak we actually are, which means we can completely lean on Christ. You know, worship was the only thing that got me through some of those days. I would have to make myself, when I just wanted to panic and give up, I would make myself sing old hymns. Mm -hmm. I'd make myself sing a chorus of a hill song or an elevation worship song. I would do whatever it took just to distract my mind from the hopelessness of my situation. And I learned this, that God's promises are true, but when God makes a promise, we want to fast forward to the payoff. That's what we want. We want the payoff. I want the streets of gold. I want resurrection. I want health and wealth and prosperity. But when God makes a promise, before we can get to the payoff, we have to go through this thing called the process. And the process is filled with pain. But the process is the point. This morning I was in the gym at 5.30. And the reason why I went to the gym at 5.30 this morning was to break down my muscles so that they could be broken and built back up. You know, cardiologists tell you, if you have a weak heart, you've got to push your heart to the limit so that that heart rate can get up, so that your heart rate can be strengthened. The same reason that I go to the gym to break down a muscle to build it back up is the same work the Holy Spirit does in us. Mm -hmm. The things that break us are the things that make us. 
And the things that break us are the things that bring us closer to God. I would never want to repeat what I went through, but I wouldn't trade it for the world because I love Jesus more now than I've ever loved him. Because I used to, I used to pray because I was supposed to. Now I pray for survival. Mm-hmm. And I realized that Jesus, to me, became real in my brokenness and my weakness because we don't realize Jesus is all we need until Jesus is all we have. And I'm wondering too how that has impacted the suffering that you've gone through that you wouldn't have chosen. That's got to have impacted the effectiveness of your ministry because there's an empathy that you now have for other people who are struggling that unless you'd gone through that, you wouldn't have that. Yeah, Yeah, I'm a lot more patient now. (laughs) How has it, I mean, you've been sharing this message for a few months now. How is it impacting people or how is kind of God bringing that back to you? It's a really cool story. Ironically, I released the book on Father's Day, which was three years to the day that I buried my dad. And it's the message I've been preaching exclusively uh, with the churches I go to, the conferences, the events, the rallies, the, uh, the crusades. And since I began preaching this message on Father's Day, which was back in June, I've seen somewhere between 16 and 17,000 people respond to the gospel by receiving Christ and repenting of their sin. And it's not because I'm a good preacher. It's not because I've got a great story. It's because God is in my story. It's because the power of the gospel is stronger than our greatest weakness and our greatest times of brokenness. Mm. And so when I told the Lord two years ago, I'll write this book but I hope you use it to help a lot of people. He has, mm-hmm. and he still is. Mm-hmm. Uh, can, can we give it the book to some people maybe today? I think that'd be a fantastic idea. You know, there's some things that we would maybe like you to join with us, because together we are stronger. Mm-hmm. And when you can help us do some things we're gonna tell you about, then we're gonna make this book available to you. Mm-hmm. We're in the middle of Water for Life. Uh, that's our outreach where we drill water wells around the world. and. Um, you have an opportunity here to, to help some people who have gone through a lot of the heartache, certainly that Clayton understands, but I, I think even more tragic in, in, in some respects. Take a look, if you will, at some people that uh, we are able to impact and who need our help. Open your hearts as you open your eyes and just hear their story. And then I want to tell you how, how you can make a huge difference. Watch this with us. How can she forget the loss of a child? Then another, a third, and a fourth. Day after day, she is haunted by her loss. 
her time with her four children was cut tragically short. Reflections of them is all she has left. You know, I cannot imagine what that is like. I only have one son, and we went through a th thing with Christian at one point when he was three years old, and we thought we were going to lose him. And honestly, I thought I was going to lose my mind. I cannot imagine what it's like as a mom to bury not just one child, but two children, three children, four children, all for something as simple as you can't give them clean water. And the thing I love about being part of this family here is we can change that. And some of you can do a lot, and that's awesome. And some of you can do a little, and that's fantastic. But the truth is, every one of us can do something. I don't care if it's go and find that jar of coins that you've kept and take it and get some money to help. But to be able to say to a mom like that, you know, and we've, we've met these moms, and their prayer is, will someone in this world hear my prayer? Mm -hmm. God has made it possible for you and I to be the answer to this prayer. That's all she wants. She's not asking for something fancy. She just wants to be able to give her children clean water, and we can do it, Randy. Yeah, there are, there are mothers. I mean, for some, obviously, it's, it's too late, and that's tragic, but there's so many more that are right on the edge. We need to get there. We need to get there with our drilling rigs. Uh, we, we do the heavy-duty uh, wells. I mean, these things last like over 70 years. They, they give water to an average of 1,000 people in a village. This is, these are the big-time heavy-duty rigs and wells that we're putting in. But it does cost some money. $4,800 is the average price for these. We want to do 500 wells this year alone around the world, over 15 countries, we can only do it with you, with your help. Some of you can drill a whole well. Somebody might be able to drill two or three, and I would say, do it, <laughs> do it now. But all of us can do something. You know, Sheila, the story of the widow's might, I think, is so critical in a situation like this because I know somebody's out there going, man, I wish I could drill a whole well, but you can't. But you can do something. It's your heart that God looks at. It's not the amount. Yes, $48 will provide water to a, a 10 people for a lifetime. But it's not the $48 that I think God's pressing on you. It's the obedience. It's the heart for giving. It's the heart for reaching out to a hurting world and making a difference in Jesus' name. You can do it. You can do it with us. I'm inviting you to go to the phones, to go to the website right now and participate you can have that impact. You can change a life. Join us today. Go to the phones. Every day, children are forced to make a dreadful choice. Drink polluted water filled with deadly disease or die from thirst. No child should ever be faced with this decision. The good news is there is a solution. Mission Water for Life is one of the most proven demonstrations of God's love today. Suffering can end because clean water changes everything. With your gift today, you can help drill 500 water wells in remote villages in over 15 different nations. 
Your gift of $24 will help provide clean water for five people. A gift of $48 will help provide for 10. And $144 will help provide fresh water for 30 people for a lifetime. Additionally, just over $378,000 is needed to replace an old and failing drilling rig in Africa. Please consider an additional gift of $100 or more to get a desperately needed new rig in place as soon as possible. With your gift, we'll send you The Stream, a powerful new book by James Robison that charts a clear path for your personal revival and a spiritual revolution. With your gift of $100 or more, please request The Promises of God coffee mugs. Finally, please consider a gift of $1,200 to help provide water for 250 people or a gift of $4,800 to help sponsor a complete well. And you may request our Majesty Bronze Sculpture. Please call, write, or make your gift online. This mother has four children. Last summer, a year ago, they had an outbreak of intestinal disease from contaminated water. Two of her children got very, very sick. Now she's got a little baby, just a few months old, and this baby is living on her mother's milk. This baby's nursing. But Betty, pretty soon, this little baby's gonna be drinking that water. And oftentimes, it takes their lives. It really does, James, and, and they can't do anything about it because it's all the water that they have. I just can't even imagine. This little baby is so precious, so beautiful. Her mama just cuddling her and taking care of her, and she makes little sounds of life. But you know, I don't know how long those little sounds of life will be if we don't do something to help them. We can make the difference by doing the water wells and giving them a fresh cup of water. You know, I very deliberately reached out to see if this little girl would take hold of my fingers. Mm -hmm. And in so many ways, little children like this are reaching out to find somebody they can hold on to. And, uh, I'd like you to be one of the hands to reach out and dial the telephone number and take your bank card and use it like a check or, or write a check and make it to life. Please call us and let us know what you're sending or you can go online and say, I want to give life to children like this and keep them healthy. Do go to the phones, go to the website. <laughs> We can do it, people. We can do it. We just need your help. We've got something special, Sheila. For any gift that you send in, um, we will send you Clayton's book, Stronger. It's really an amazing. Here's the cool thing. You and I get to be missionaries from our own recliner. We can do this together, people. <laughs> we can. Make sure you ask for it when you give a gift today online or, or on the phone or in the mail, however you do it. Uh, we want to get you the book. And would you just say thank you to Clayton for opening up his heart and putting uh, into words the, the things he's been through, man. We appreciate you. Thank you. I appreciate you. And uh, most of all, I appreciate you. Thank you for joining us on Life Today. Be sure to join us every day.
We are meant to live powerful lives, lives packed with divine power. Bible teacher Beth Moore, tomorrow. Life Today is made possible by the supporters of Life Outreach International. Your gift will be used exclusively for the exempt purposes of life. The ministry features specific outreaches as examples of the programs it supports and conducts. Gifts are considered to be without restriction as to use unless explicitly stipulated by the donor. The ministry is a member of the ECFA.